The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to The Working Artist Project. And uh, believe it or not, Gregory Aji is back with us. What up, Greg? What's going on, everyone? I'm so happy to be back. I cannot tell you um, how good it feels to uh, be in a normal-sized bedroom because my bunk, <laughs> <laughs> my bunk on the on the uh, on the bus is not very large. So I'm so happy to be home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. If y'all don't know what, well, I'm sure everybody knows because I've been saying it for the last few weeks. Uh, Greg has been out on tour with Michael Bubbly, drinking all Ooh. the bubbly water that he, he could. Y'all got a bubbly water uh, endorsement, right? I'm pretty sure, man. Send me a couple cases, bro. Oh my God, that's a funny story. Not meant for air. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but well, we are. We are. Bubbly water is certainly the official water of all Michael Bublé uh, type experiences. Yes, <laughs> that's what's up. That's what's up. So, y'all, all right, tonight we we got a super special guest, and um, yeah, man, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it, Greg. He's one of the greatest drummers of all time. All time. Yeah, he really is. And I don't like nobody. So y'all know, y'all know I'm serious. And Greg, you can attest to this, man. I hate everybody, man. Like, <laughs> wow. That's Darian, you know. Yes, keeping it real with Darian. <laughs> no, nah, man. So so tonight we got Micaiah. And uh Micaiah is you you gotta put your ears on this cat's uh music, man. He's he's a true original. And uh we're gonna get him in here in just a second and 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 kind of get to the bottom of it. You probably seen him playing with Marquise Hill. Uh, a little bit, but he also has his own project that's super dope, and he travels around the world doing that. But um, it's actually kind of amazing. I was reading his bio a couple of days ago, and I've never seen anyone so highly spoken about. I mean, it was just like from Wired magazine to Downbeat to everything in between. This is the cat. <laughs> yeah, man, this cat is really pushing pushing the music forward in in a positive way. So, uh, without further ado, why don't we welcome Micaiah McCraven to the Working Artist Project? Yo, yo, yo! What's <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> uh, well, thank you for such a uh, a warm welcome. I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, yeah, bro, absolutely. I'm I'm just curious, man. Y'all, we was we was in the back, and we weren't sure if everybody could see everybody. I'm I'm not even sure if everybody can see everybody, but I know everybody sees us. So, can y'all see each other? No, no, I can't no? see. I can't see anyone right now. I'm going on YouTube right now to, to watch this. <laughs> I wasn't on there, but I, I don't think I logged in the right way. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, well, we we using some new technology tonight. I'll, it looks good, though. It looks beautiful. Man. Great, great. Yeah. So, so Makai, man, what, what's been going on, and how you been making it through the pandemic? Man, it's been a lot of ups and downs. I've I'm incredibly fortunate and really grateful um, to be weathering this in a, in a, in a positive way. Um, just been trying to spend a lot of time with my wife and kids and just like really refocusing on what's important, you know. Um, it's been great coming back into it. You know, I just came off a small tour and some nice gigs and festivals, but I got to say that like um, 
the pandemic and the, like the lockdowns really slowed me down at a time when I was I was moving really fast and you know I'm not one to sit down myself and so uh, it was really you know I tried to make the most of this time to regather myself and try to reorient my understanding of what are the, my goals and what do I want out of out of this life and my music and but you know just the the balance of of, of everything really yeah yeah man it's, it's it's I know it's been a challenge for everybody trying to really you know, figure this whole thing out with the pandemic. But like you said, the, the most beautiful part is you got to hang out with your family. And so I, I definitely can attest to that. And uh, I don't know, Greg, you you probably, you hung out with your family too. You probably with your mama down the street, right? Dude, I mean, for the, I don't think I saw my mom for the first six or seven months of this, this whole pandemic. So I was, I was laying low for a moment, but, but I, I totally, man, I appreciate what you said about kind of using it a time to work with yourself and connect with those around you, you know, definitely, felt this was a, a great time of rebirth and and rediscovery of, of who we are and what we're all about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know what I figured out, Greg and Makaya, both of y'all are French, man. <laughs> I know, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, we was on the phone the other day. I was like, oh, shit. He was like, yeah, I was born in Paris, man. Yeah, and you moved to Massachusetts right away, right? Yeah, I, I, grew up, I grew up in the States since I was just like a year old. You know, so I never really had much uh, experience living in France uh, at any young age and like just kind of happened to kind of be there with my family. Both my parents were, were immigra immigrated there when, when I was born, but quickly we moved to the States. I have, now check this out. While all your friends were eating uh, macaroni and cheese and Lunchables, what, what were you eating for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we had all sorts of stuff, goulash and, and Hungarian for my mother's Hungarian. We had all sorts of Hungarian food and just different different stuff. I mean, there are a number of, you know, classic American uh experiences that I like sometimes I'll find myself in a place and be like, Oh, you haven't eaten this or y'all didn't do this every year and I'm like, uh no, nah, not really. <laughs> But it's not really solidly anything because it was just kind of a, a a jumbled up experience at home. A lot of different cultures, a lot of people, um, non-traditional kind of household, a lot of artists, musicians, uh, different types of people coming in and out, crashing with us, you know, weird schedules. So that my, my, my childhood was was uh, blessed, but, but different. Yeah, it's crazy because, you know, I, I think like, Growing up in a non with non American parents, like I, a lot of times, I found it challenging to kind of like understand like where I came from, and I was mm -hmm. wondering. Also, that was also a, a huge blessing too because I had this opportunity to completely just have my own identity. And so I was wondering how how that you know uh, say eclectic background kind of contributed to to making you the man you are now. Well, my father's American, but you know he's an American you know, living abroad for many years. He was living abroad when I when I was born and he moved back there kind of when my parents split, he went back out. And in my whole young childhood, he was always going on the road. He was always traveling overseas. You know, um, you know, I find my parents and the kind of alternative kind of musical, expansive household I grew up in definitely shaped me. And, and that goes both from like having international perspective and perspective that crosses boundaries both internationally but also racially socioeconomically and in a, in a variety of different ways that like 
Uh, I got family across the different uh, different boundaries, but also lifestyle wise, and then also just the lifestyle of being a working artist and and being somebody who is out here trying to uh, create and make a lifestyle as an artist, both as a working musician, but also as a creative artist. And both my parents made kind of you know uh, creative records that you know my mother being from Hungary doing Eastern European folk music, but being interested in jazz and then coming and doing going through uh, American kind of uh, jazz institution of, of educate, like uh, higher learning. And when she, she was an education major, I kind of grew up around her. And then my father being a jazz musician and, and playing with a bunch of cats and stuff with a lot of different stuff was going on. You know, meanwhile, I was, I, you know, as a kid, cause I wasn't necessarily getting it from, from them. I was at home trying to just, you know, fit in you know, with everybody, with regular, normal kids around. And so, like, trying to be like, okay, oh, your parents have jobs. And, like, you know, you guys, you know, have regular schedules and um, eat this type of food. And, like, I want to play sports with y'all. And what kind of music do you guys listen to? Oh, yeah, at my house, it's like a Love Supreme and Fela Kuti and Bitches Brew and, like, you know, all sorts of stuff. Bartok, you know, like. Oh, you guys, okay, you know, so uh, I definitely felt sometimes, um, you know, I had to take a moment to to figure out how to fit in in certain of those spaces. Some of it being being having uh, family not from here, but just kind of, kind of being alternative. And and I think most of us artists in general, like we, there's at some point we're gonna we're dealing with that too because we're we live mm-hmm. on a little bit of the outskirts of uh, mainstream society um, in terms of even the way that. Um, you know, what's like set up for us. You know, everybody's got their health insurance through their employers and employers, all this kind of stuff and the tax and, you know, we're self, we're running our businesses. We're outside of the kind of the mainstream. And so between that and kind of the international thing, mixed family, you know, European and black, all that, it's def- definitely all that stuff sh- has shaped me uh, in trying to figure out how to just walk this earth as myself, yeah. musically yeah. or not. You know, I think the one thing that came to my mind is like, you know, my parents aren't, well, my dad used to play music, but, you know, not in any real way by the time it was time for me to, you know, be, be like a young teen or an adult. And, and you know, that, that friction that you get, or at least I got from my parents, maybe you didn't, or maybe you did. It was like, Hey man, don't do this. Don't do this music thing, brothers, you know, be, do something else, go to college for something else, which I did do. But um, hey, here we are. I still ended up being a musician. You know, did you did you have that friction where your dad was like, "I know this life is hard, bro. Just do something easy and be a brain surgeon." You know? <laughs> no, not it was different. I mean, <laughs> definitely, definitely like, yo, this life is hard, bro. You know, I got that. I get that now. You know, coming at him. You know, oh, you so you think you could play now, huh? You got some gigs, huh? You know, like, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> so, but uh. But, and, you know, and I definitely had from my father's side, my grandparents, a lot of um, pressure to, you know, f- deal with f- f- a higher education and a lot of stuff that my father in his pursuits of music rebelled against in, in our family, you know. And so, um, but I didn't know. They always encouraged me. I, I think, if anything, I had a moment, you know, when I was like, you know, doing really well at football, I was like, came captain at one point, but even before that, I was like, I was man, I don't want to go to school to be a, for music. I, I, I didn't, to me, it didn't seem like 
one it professionally like i was working I, I started working a lot really young like you know with hip-hop bands reggae bands straight ahead uh creative uh like fusion groups and all sorts i was working on quite a lot through high school and and by the time and i had a creative project and my parents were working i had gigs that kind of came in through them in the local scene and um i went to school being like i don't want to be a music major you know like i mean one there was a pair i don't even know if i want to do this professionally but i love it then i was like okay i know i'm doing this i'm working a ton through my junior senior even sophomore year working a lot of music like starting to have like you know income and i was like i don't think i need to go to music school to do this like i gotta just keep on playing with people i want to like maybe go for business or do something like that was my mind and i was rebelling i was like maybe i'm not even go to college and then everybody grandparents were like no 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 so i was like what else? Look, I'm not going to be a music. I'm going to go undeclared. But I knew that when I got to school, like I wanted to get drum lessons from the, the, the guy who was teaching there, Bob Galati. I was like, man, he's dope. I want some lessons. And they told me if I wanted to get lessons, I have to audition. And so I auditioned, you know, not as a music major, but just to like, I have to play in a big band and play in a, a small ensemble. And then I could get the free drum lessons and they give me a drum room, you know? And so I did the audition and they, like I could, I you know I could play a lot. I learned a lot oral to an oral traditionalist music, but I like my reading was not happening. They threw me in like the top big band, put me in a really good combo, and I spent my first year of college just hanging out at the music department, shedding, taking lessons, being part of the band, but not doing any major requirements and not really even going to my my other courses, you know. And I ended up like not uh, having a very good academic <laughs> run through that. And uh, eventually, like, I, I kind of left school for a minute and they, they offered for me to come back with a scholarship. They said, why don't you just be a music major? And at that point, I just said, yeah, what, yes, you know, but I was busy that whole time. I've been working a lot and, and school was not really, uh, it was just a, that was kind of a difficult path, path for me at the, at the moment. Have, having gone through that experience, man, what, what is your two cents on like maybe a young musician coming up that, that is at that crossroads where they are, you know, working as a musician, but also contemplating whether school is, is the right call for them? Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I talked to some young musicians about that. I mean, I feel like, like one, it's, 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 it's unique to every, every individual. Cause I do see some musicians and they like get, you know, they start moving and stuff is popping and they're, they're like, what do I do with school? But my thing is like, unless you have some like stuff really happening, a runway, or you have a plan where you're going to like work like and hustle, you know, because um, like when I moved to Chicago, I even I, like I looked at being because I was working so much before I moved here. I looked at when I moved here and like I was not going to I'm not going to backtrack. I'm not going to get any sort of other type of work i need to like work 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 so i spent my time i made lists of venues musicians in town people i wanted to do sessions with where things were happening you know what is going on and i took it seriously like this is my job to like figure out how to be to work you know and so i talked to young musicians i'm like don't just don't just leave school you know because school gives you a lot of a runway whether it's okay a place for you to truly like hone your skills, sharpen your tools, learn from some uh, teachers and stuff that are, that are, you know, there for you, you know, um, 
but also your peers, creating that uh, social network and all that stuff. But, you know, if you're looking at school to be, uh, to lean on, like you need it for these things. I think to me, it's like, it's a, it can be a tool for you in your life and your career. It can give you some time when you're young to like grow. And then at the same time, you get like a certification that you can use professionally. Like I, you know, wish I had finished and all of that. It just wasn't my path and, and that's okay. You know, and that's going to be the case for a lot of people. So I think it's, it's, in, it's individual. Uh, it's an individual choice depending on where you're at. And, and, but it's all just your determination. Like if you're not going to go, then, you know, you got to hustle like your life depends on it because, you know, too many of us out here are, are uh, hanging on by a thread. And Absolutely. so it's real. You better be out here hustling. Yeah. You and for the record, this, even if you do go, you got to you got to hustle like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is my vibe. This is my vibe on school. I'm going to get on my soapbox for 10 seconds. Okay. And then I'm, then I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> please, please. Uh, school ain't that never had. Right. School ain't never had nothing to do with nobody's success. Period. Point blank. Yeah. The beginning and the end of that. Greg disagrees, but I don't care. And the second thing is, if you're young and you listen to this, like you really got to do a ROI mathematical equation. What is my return on investment on the money I'm spending? So if you're going to go to school, go to school as cheaply as possible. Go to school in Mississippi, Alabama. Don't, don't go to Juilliard because I play gigs with Juilliard motherfuckers every day and they got a hundred thousand dollars of debt and I don't. And so, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? You, you got like, it, it depends though. You got, I got to say it depends, you know, it depends on where you're at because if you're determined and you want to get certain things out of that experience, whether it's the uh, a professor you want to study with, or uh, opportunity to move to the city, you know, or uh, a number of different things, it might work for you. But I think what happens is a lot of people are young and naive, and they think that 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 is the thing. And that's not necessarily a ticket or a vehicle or a tool or just something to give to take some time, you know, as you go. I mean, definitely if you're spending 200 grand on, a, you know, especially if you spend 200 grand on, on an education, then the return on investment, you know, in our niche market is not looking really good for you, you know? Yeah, don't do it. I mean, I, <laughs> like it just—it ain't smart, man. Go some, go to somebody else's school. Like, you know, I'm from Mississippi. I'm country as hell, bro, and I'm out here playing with everybody. And you, you know, so it don't really fucking matter, man. If you got some hustle, you, you're gonna be all right. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Practice, work hard. You got to work hard. You got to work harder than some people to get to get that visibility. But you know, fucking work your ass off. You'll be all right. Um. Look, man. You, you, get... mentioned, you mentioned the word "work" a lot, man. I was just wondering too. Like, how, how do you? How do you? Do you compartmentalize the, like a difference between work and art, or how, how do you see yourself like creating opportunities for yourself that that are work, but also authentic to your art? And do you feel like those things like contradict each other? I think it's a that's that's a good question. It's complicated, you know. Um, like, you know, I always had a philosophy of I'll take every gig. Yeah, I'll play. I'll play every gig that I can 
and I'm going to learn from every gig and every situation. I will work and I will earn and I will continue to grow until the things that I don't want to do, they don't, I ain't got time for them. You know, mm. I, I will push them out of my schedule with my own ability to get more work. You know, that's that's been my goal. Right. And so, like, you know, I'll take stuff and I'll take things as learning opportunity. Obviously, as I grow, there's more and more ways. And you see sometimes you want to turn things down and stuff for more reasons to like to turn things down. But like particularly when I talk to young musicians, I, I that was my philosophy was to play with as many people as I could. And sometimes you're the weakest link in the room and sometimes you're the strongest link. And there's something to be learned to learn from, you know, both experiences, musically speaking. And then professionally speaking, as you never know when you'll meet another person, you know, now that all being said, I will always within that framework will always prioritize creative work to, to whatever I'm doing over money. You know, I always prioritize creative work and, and, or slash things that I am part of things that I have some sort of investment of, of my creative and my, uh, owner, some sort of even ownership, even if that's not like, you know, uh, talked about, but even if it's just like a personal, I feel like I have ownership of this music and this project that will always take priority to any work, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when I work, then also like, since I'm playing music, I gotta go and I have to play. I can't just go work and, and not be doing what I'm doing because you know, something I'll say to people too is, you know, if you want to, you know, yeah, you can make money playing music, but if you came into music to make money, that was a terrible career decision. It's an awful career decision. Like, I, you know, it's just not smart. It's not smart. You know, I see people, they take a picture that says my office for the day. But to me, it's much more than an office, right? It's much more than an office. And so if I'm putting my heart and my soul and my blood and my sweat and my tears into this every waking moment of my life, you know, through family and everything I got, you know, like it's hard to have to exploit that, you know, for financial gain at times, you know. But at the same time, like I'll always make the music for that first and then figure out how to exploit it afterwards, you know, to make money. Because if I go the other way around and I try to make music to make money, you know, uh, it's it's just not it's just not right. So I just kind of feel like it's too hard to make money doing this. If I wanted to use my talents and potential to go make money, I'd I'd be a doctor, a stockbroker. I would have went to school for something that has a four hundred one k and health insurance attached to it, and like would have been poof. You know, this is not it, bro. You know, I've been thinking about this thing. I, I read this thing and uh, well, my wife showed it to me. You know, the average lifespan is 4,000 weeks, right? So that ain't a long time. If you think about that, you got 4,000 weeks on this earth, give or take. So you got to decide every day, you know, like you said, am I going to be bullshitting around playing music? If we musicians playing music with people I don't really care about, or am I going to make these 4,000 weeks count? You know what I'm saying? That's why I tell cats, I moved to New York nine years ago. I ain't never played no wedding. No disrespect. But I didn't move to New York to play weddings. I could have stayed in Mississippi and did that. So so we all got to make a decision. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You know, like, and then you got to have some integrity and say, okay, cool. I'm going to stick 
in this path, like you said, you you go the other way. You do the creativity, and then the creativity leads to your success. Where other people think about it, you know, playing music is just like I'm gonna just play some music and play the highest paying gig, and that's enough for them. It's different for everybody, but you need to identify what that is for yourself, or else you gonna wake mm-hmm. up ninety about the dime. Like, what the fuck did I do? What's next? You might wake up and be a camel, dog. <laughs> <laughs> the day after my daughter was born you know i had some like or a couple of like a few days whatever i had a wedding a wedding gig and i was i hadn't played a gig for a couple weeks i cleared my schedule just you know to be ready and i went and i was feeling like a million bucks man we were playing all this, i was get, i was in it i was playing my heart out you know people were dancing having a good time. And I remember end of the gig, you know, they were like, oh, cool. Oh, they want us to play other two. We've been playing for four damn hours. I'm like, let's go. Let's go. Life <laughs> is great. Music. And I remember a bass player looked at me. He was like, why are you working so hard? Like, let's go home. And I was like, never. I don't ever want to be there. I want to play. You a player, dog. I mean, I get it. I've, I've been tired. I've been tired. I'm not, no, 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 no shit on that. But like, but at that moment, it was like, it was a moment. I was like, man, I'm here to play. I'm not, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not here to just phone this in just for like a couple bucks, man. And it's like, you can play. And that's great. There's a lot of work. Like I said, I've always worked as many gigs as I can because you got to survive and you got to hustle and gigs and money are hard to come by in this, in this world, you know, but you know, I feel like when 4, you put your weeks, you gotta play, you gotta make that time 4, count. Weeks, <laughs> like professionally, professionally, you wanna for me, I've always thought like the more stuff I put into things that I have, like I said, some ownership, accountability for, something that I'm investing, that even if this pay, doesn't pay as much in the short run, but in the long run, I'm building my career, I'm building uh, my connections with other musicians. With, with potential fans, with uh, just my relationship with my art and my relationship with my with myself when it when it comes to my music and what I want to present and having s- something to say, you know. And so I feel like investing yourself in that over time, just like as if you own a home, right? And every time you pay your rent, that goes into your mortgage and you own it. You know, I've looked at my creative you know, as that, at the, as I'm still willing to work as many gigs as it takes to pay all my bills. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Now, I, I want to switch gears, man, because, uh, Greg, you got something? No, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, all right, all right, cool. Yeah, I want to get to this to this record, man, because as, as we are now deciphering our message, I want to see what this deciphering the message is all about. And so, so you you did a record like you, you told us earlier. You did a record for Blue Note, but you not on Blue Note because Blue Note didn't have enough money to sign you. You know what I'm saying? Blue Note, if you listening, send Makai the motherfucking check. That's all I'm saying, dog. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell tell us about this record, man. What's unique about it? Um. So you know, this is rather like. It's uh, then an artist record. It's like a remix record was kind of the way that it was really, really originally kind of pre- presented. So I went through the Blue Note catalog, um, really kind of in the late '60s and earlier, and uh, sampled 
a variety of records uh, where I kind of chopped them up and made tracks out of them, but also kind of incorporated playing from some different musicians from, you know, from like Joel Ross and myself and Marquise and just kind of people from my crew. And we kind of played with the samples and tried to kind of find a, you know, a kind of a space between between the, the beats and the music. Undertaking to be uh, allowed to to have access to the entire Blue Note catalog and then be told to make a record out of it. And so I was wondering if you had like any type of like game plan going into it, or if maybe you were like listening to tracks and just kind of like feeling inspired and, and moving from there. Yeah, I mean, I did do uh, like a notebook of of notes and things and ideas of ways to frame the project, uh, different thematic things that I that I were speaking to me. Also, just did doing a little bit of reading up on on the label and like just trying to absorb as, as some vibe that I could. Um, but then I, you know, uh, I also did a lot like the latter you said, and just end up being like after I did all this kind of intellectual kind of pontificating on myself, I was like not really getting anywhere, and uh, I just started to dig, and and I wanted to kind of take it as a kind of almost like a crate digger opportunity, and and you know, and like something like this is like. You know, I want to be able to also produce, like, uh, approach this as like with the producer hat, where it's like, you know, one thing that always got me into sampling was like, like B culture producers, people going through, you know, digging through records, and and then through that, what's really funny as I was like digging through all these Blue Note records, so often while I'm trying to make a beat here and there, I'm like, man. I just want a tip, man. <laughs> I was like, this, is, this is just tipping, you know, like, okay. Mm. But, you know, but it was a huge undertaking. And, and then so in some ways I also tried to like, you know, not psych myself out too much. You know what I mean? Man, when you were dig- dealing with this or going through those catalogs, were, did you, were you thinking about like how those records were recorded versus how records are recorded today? You know, like at, I was just gonna say, like sometimes, you know, as we're talking to talk to some of the, the 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 legends in the game, they always tell you they just went in a studio, you know, and they just fucking hit it. It wasn't no rehearsals, it wasn't nothing. They just played. I think it's. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I th- I mean, I think about that stuff a lot when regards to this music and, and the way that we frame it and the way that we've learned it and we play it versus the way that it was played. You know, I mean, there's a lot of different things that come to my mind. You know, um, even like I said, like I came up playing the music a lot in like an aural kind of tradition. You know, I really think of that, you know, where you had cats who might have been a little, could play a lot of stuff, but might have been a little dis- disassociated from the page. You know what I mean? Um, versus there's also, uh, I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's so much. You're talking about the way it was recorded. Like something that really connects with me is like with Rudy Van Gelder recording in his mom's like, living room you know as like a side gig he was like a dentist whatever he was doing you know to me that was really inspiring where it's like this indie kind of label these young guys are doing this they're recording stuff in non-traditional spaces you know and they're putting this stuff out they're also recording a lot of stuff live which kind of connects with some of the stuff that i was doing in my earlier my earlier projects um and so yeah i always feel like i'm to like a lot of recordings and or when I go in the studio with my band versus when I've made the records that I record live. You throw 20 microphones on the drum set, you know, I mean it it's it's clean as it, but it's different. 
you know, and and then we're all playing in the cans and like, you know, so I, I, I do like something about that. But I also like the spirit of when I when I do a session and this is different speaking, say, from this record specifically. But I think there's something special when you go and it's just not over rehearsed mm-hmm. and you could have something really simple, be really relatively easy to play. You get the baddest cats to play it, but they don't know what's <laughs> going to happen before they're going to play it, right? They don't know what's going to happen before they play it. And so what does everybody have to do? It's like, no matter what you know what you have to do, you got to be on your toes. You got to be ready to play. You can't be sitting here ready to phone it in, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're, we're about to step in the unknown together, you know, and and, and that's that, 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 that spirit. So I do try to, even in the production, which is more like uh, sculpting, I also kind of try to have some amount of laissez-faire just like, or like in the moment, you know, I'm not laissez-faire, but like in the moment uh, production. But yeah, no, it was a big, it was a big undertaking. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of going all over the place with my answer, but, but uh, it was a very, it's been a very cool opportunity uh, to, to have, to have to be able to do this. And I've learned a lot and I spent a lot of time, listening to a lot of shit you know and uh (laughs) (laughs) trying to you know take it as a learning opportunity you know as much as as anything um well while you were searching through the the blue note catalog did you find any gems that that maybe we should know about that we might not be familiar with and and also i I was wondering what program do you do you work in when you're doing production stuff there's a bunch of gems i mean there's things i found like i mean um i wasn't really hip to Eddie Gale's Black Rhythm Happening, you know, that's something I sampled, you know, I didn't know that that was Elvin Jones was playing on there. And it's so different than the rest of the Bruno catalog from that period. Um, And just kind of an interesting kind of avant-garde kind of funky psychedelic thing. So that was, that was stuff. There's stuff that I just should, just should have known, just probably should have known better and just spending time with like some of Andrew Hill's records, um, uh, black fire and um but i mean it even said and i like i didn't even sample that for the record you know but uh but there was a there's a lot of there's a lot of it's and it was a lot of a lot of records see bro when you, <laughs> you, when you just you, you just mentioned andrew hill that's you pushing my buttons now man that's 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 my shit right there. See, me and Alvin Fielder, we be sitting around. We be like, "Have you ever heard of Andrew Hill?" And they, <laughs> bro, <laughs> yeah, that that's that's definitely the, man. Why don't we take a minute to to put our ears on this, and we can uh, observe your genius at work. This one is called the Jeff's tune. The Jeff's tune. Okay, cool. we call it Frank's tune. Frank's t- AKA Frank's tune. If you feel like pat your feet, pat your feet.
Yeah, y'all, we can't let y'all get too much of that. You gotta, you gotta be on the lookout for this record when it comes out. When is when is this coming out, bro? November nineteenth. November nineteenth, right in time for uh, you to make your uncle mad at Thanksgiving. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, oh, no. so tell tell us a story about this one, man. This track. Um. Uh, uh that's a fr- it's the sample is from frank's tune off of jack wilson's uh uh easterly winds is the name of the record and you know i heard that 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 melody kind of line is uh from the horns is was basically coming from the intro and i just like the chromatic nature of it caught my ear immediately it sounded really modern you know because right out of the intro they hit that and they're like they're like tipping you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I heard that I was like, "Wow, man!" It just was sound really. It just was really hip and modern to me, and was like had a nice feel and groove. And I started working with it, kind of rearranging some of the changes and rhythms of that of that section. And once I kind of got a vibe, I kind of uh, called Jeff Parker, the guitarist, you know, um, and I played it for him over the you know over the phone. And he was like, "Oh man." You know, and so he kind of laid some stuff. Um, I mean, I played bass. I played bass on it, uh, and I laid a couple different little, little background stuff. And then once Jeff laid his part, I had uh, Deshaun come in and play. Fo- Deshaun Jones come and play some flute, and kind of just kind of I start figuring out some structuring and format, and it just it just came together, you know. But it's it's a process. It's kind of a process. How, how long does it take you to like complete a track? What what does that timeline look like? I mean, I probably worked on that track for a couple months for sure, for sure, you know. Um, but like not in a straight line, you know. But it, you know, there's a variety of different, you know, like there's different drum tracks in there, you know. There's production, you know. There's a lot of you know a lot of work that I do that just ends up getting. Whoosh, taken out you know because i'm i'm you know constantly you know sometimes as i produce i also take it as a as an opportunity is is like from it's part of my my learning it's part of my education and so i like i study a lot of keys and bass and harmony you know i took guitar lessons all pandemic i'm terrible at guitar but but i but i but i practice you know i practice some scales and practice different chord shapes and you know different types of like progressions and motions um so as if I'm like sampling stuff, I'm working on things and I'm like trying to produce it. I'm like, okay, well, how do I, what is this? And like, you know, I might've taken the, done the bass, but I might've had to spend the, like half the day shedding it and transcribing it before like I could start to jam and execute something, you know, that I felt good about, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it can sometimes those kind of like, it can take the long, the long route, but like, always when it comes to the inspiration of a good idea it, it happens like that yeah. you know i don't know I, I don't, it's like i mean it's hard to explain because i might work on it like i said i might work on a track forever and then work on the and finally i record a bass track after i worked on it for a couple of weeks you know and then i like that but then it's like oh it needs this and this but 
But whenever I have an idea and I'm like, this, oh, that's dope. The, like the nuts, the big, the nuts and bolts, it just kind of, it just kind of appears. You know what I mean? So, I, you know, it's hard to say what it takes. How do you know when you're finished with the track? Cause that could, that's like one of the biggest challenges of having no timeline or just having this endless ability to cut and, and edit. That's a great chance. Uh, great tr- uh, question. One thing is uh, I, I work on deadlines, you know, I don't always make my deadlines, but one thing I find is that like, opportunities and and things for me to do and whether it's a gig or like a a record or whatever and then it's like ah and that that thing starts to come you better you better start working (laughs) you know you know um you know my wife she you know i was really struggling i did a a commission uh it was like uh, all new music for this concert at the high park jazz festival about a month ago and i was really stressing like I was really having a hard time coming out of the pandemic and just with, uh, you know, what do you call it, uh, you know, just anxiety, not feeling adequate, you know, in myself and whatever. And like, I asked my wife, who's a professor, I, I was like, man, I'm, I, I'm really struggling. And she said, well, what's the best dissertation you can write? You know, what's the best dissertation? What is it? Like, what's the best dissertation? I don't know, babe. You know, you got a PhD. I never finished college. I don't know. I don't know, babe. And she said, the best dissertation is a finished dissertation. Ah. You know? Mm. And 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 that is the hard thing to do is like is like completion, completion of a project and kind of finally coming and saying, like, I'm okay with this. And and I and I, I you know, sometimes it's easier said than done. One of my earlier tours, I kept on saying it to my band members. I was like, I was like, let your suckiness shine. I was like, let your suckiness shine. And meaning like, <laughs> but, meaning, but meaning like, you know, when we come out and play, like leave it all on the field. Mm-hmm. Like come and bear yourself warts and are and give me everything you want because the last thing I want is for you to get in your way. Right. That's the worst, that's the worst thing. It's like, I don't want to get in my own way. So like, you're going to take, I'm going to work my ass off and now you're going to take me what I got. If you don't like it, I'll have to, I'm going to deal, you know? (laughs) And, and and so that's the thing with completion. And at some point you gotta, you gotta say like, this is what I've got to give, you know? And I, I, I hope that, you know, I hope that you guys enjoy it, you know, and you know, this is what I have to offer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, bro. It's like yeah, pain. Bro, it's like pain. It's like pain, it's you, like know? pain you know. Motherfucker, you but, never really finish painting the picture. Well, my wife is a painter, so I, she be painting the same shit for months. What the fuck going on? Just she look done to me. <laughs> but it. But you know what I mean. Like it. It. That's how it is when you. Because we play. When you play, it's just done. You know. But when you're when you're producing, because I, I watch Genghis do some stuff, and it's just like, or or people when they're mixing, it's like you can mix a record forever <laughs> at a certain point you just gotta be like like i remember one time e ellis told me i asked him if something was good like i gave him one of my records and i was like is this good it was the first record that we, we made and he was like well <laughs> he said it's it's difficult to to judge something when you don't have a body of work and he's like you really can't judge if something is good or not until the end so like how do i know if you made any good records until the end of your life then i need to listen to all of them and be like okay Compare, you see what I'm saying? So it's like, don't get so caught up in the, the process of creation. Man, that's yeah. one thing that keeps me busy. 
is every time I make a record and I'm like about to present it to the world and I'm like, oh man, XYZ people are gonna like it. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? I got this other record I'm working on right now. You know, you take <laughs> this one out, this one will be right down your alley, you know? And right. But it is, it's almost, there is a bit of that doubt that I always like make me like, I gotta make another thing. Like maybe this isn't the one for, for these people or that people, you know? Yeah. What's up with the name of this record, man? Deciphering the message yeah. is uh, actually it's a nod to Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. It's a it's a tune off of I think off of Indestructible. It's called Deciphering Message. I couldn't tell you who wrote the tune, um, but you know there is a bit of a nod to to the Jazz Messengers in the record. It's not like uh, it's not like you know a hard rule throughout the whole record, but you know there are Ken Kenny Dorn samples, Hank Mobley. Uh, I've got, uh, I mean, I got Blakey with Kenny Burrell on, on there and uh, Autumn in New York. There's Horace Silver. Um, and, and they're just like, a, a, you know, the beginning of Frank's tune. You got, that's, that's Blakey's voice. You know, he's just, you know, he's, if you feel like taking off your shoes, take off your shoes. He said, we are here to have a ball. So let's sit back and let's swing. And I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he told everybody in the club to take their shoes off. Yeah. <laughs> keep your shoes on. You got to take your feet, please. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, you know, there's something about that, you know, that that band that I find was really special and that came through the label. Mm -hmm. And all those cats had their own records and contributed to the project. The band was like a rite of passage for cats. And, and, just lest we not forget, the, like so many of the originators of these mu of this music, you know, were basically kids. You know, they were young people, and and I really still believe that, like, that making this music is a young man's game or young person's game, rather. You know, and like we look to our elders because they have a touch of the past. They were there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can almost get a physical realization of what it was like being in the room. And that's really special where it's like, I don't even have to talk about emulating the notes you played or the actual like specifics of the idiom, but really get to the root of like, who are the people who made this music? What made them tick? Why, what was it about? You know, rather than like what's happening in this era, this era, this era, this era, what is this about? And what we all get into and like how do i touch that and like how do i feel some of that under that understand that now within the context of now and so like i was really inspired by how young these cats were you know and in this day where you know you know you're like a you're a, you're a young lion until you're 35 36 years old <laughs> you know what i mean like the whole idea <laughs> Like of like where the music's being innovative and that is has, has, has shifted a little bit and, and and so like part of that is is part of that that conversation as well you know. Hey man, some motherfuckers eighty years old still rising stars in some of these magazines. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> Downbeat, do better. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, we got. We also have to incorporate the falling star category too. That's right. <laughs> hey, whoa, Greg, oh. get dark out here, uh, boy. Uh, yeah, that's too funny. <laughs> um, man, who, who? So you were talking about kind of like young people being the root of a lot of innovation. I was wondering if you could speak to some of the cats who are around today that maybe inspire you in some of the work that you do. Um. 
you know, for sure. I mean, definitely, I got to just give a give a shout to the homie Joel Ross, you know, and his whole his whole crew, man, have been really inspiring me. Um, I mean, I remember the it always go back to the first tour I did with with Joel overseas, and he was twenty one. It's got to be like three, four years, four years ago, maybe maybe five years. Ago, I don't even know. Four years ago, and um, and I said, "Oh man, I was like, bro, you sound so good. Like, like, when was the first time we played together? When was the first time we met? I was like, I can't remember." And he said, "Oh, I was in high school, and you came and did a master class, at, you know, at the school, and and you know, da da da." And I was like, "Oh, damn." <laughs> you, I'm much older than you are, <laughs> and it, and it's it kind of hit me. It was a kind of a moment for me in a way, you know, just kind of being a little bit older than the youngest guy in the bandstand on the bandstand all the time. And uh, since then, not only has he just been so killing um, as a musician to play with, uh, whether in my band or on the bandstand with somebody else. But just to watch him blossom and rise as a an artist, you know, uh, he got signed. He got signed to Boom Note, and he's on his third record now. And you know, I like turn on YouTube, and he's over here playing with Ravi. Sh- I mean, uh, Zakir Hussein, and then uh, people. I'm like, wow, okay. So that that's really inspiring, you know. And he's really pushed me to, to like want to like get the number of different skills together and, and just keep on growing and keep on stepping up and just to see him and like a kid's kind of a bunch of, I know his closer friends, uh, you know, they just, they just did a gig at the Bruno, uh, Joel and, uh, James Francis and, uh, Mike Mitchell, you know, all of them young and, um, you know, individual voices, you know, and what they do. Um, which I really appreciate too is my favorite musicians. You could take them or leave them on uh, on whatever you might want, but somebody really wanna is gonna be out here bold with their voice and like um, and doing their thing. It's it's always a uh, I'm always I, I admire that because it takes a lot of courage um, to do so, you know. And so those guys um, definitely inspire me. Yeah, man, some bad dudes, man. All yeah, of them. Dude. All of them. Look, Makai, man, we coming up on the end, man. Uh, you know, I always give cast an opportunity here at the end to, you know, sell their merchandise. You know what I'm saying? Makai is selling thongs on his website. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> you got the new record out. Uh, tell people where they can connect with you, how to DM you and and, and where to buy your merch. Um, you know, you can find me in all the popular platforms, uh, <clears throat> Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and you know I even got a TikTok. I never posted hey. on it yet. <laughs> I got <laughs> one too, man. <laughs> got it to just check stuff out. But you know I'm 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 a, I'm around. You can check out the music on Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal. I think it's on all all of the the, the platforms. Um, I, you may or may not be able to buy things directly from me on my website. Don't count on it necessarily. <laughs> all right, Chester, look. <laughs> Yeah, check Makai out on all of the social platforms and deciphering the message is coming out November 19th. Right? Woo! Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, dig it. So can they get that on Bandcamp or what's the vibe? Because 
That's a good question. All my other records are available on Bandcamp, but uh, with Blue Note, I really don't know if they mess with Bandcamp because that's a it's a ma- like they're under the major thing. So I'm still gonna, learning learning the, the, the vibe. It's gonna be on vinyl, or yeah, the vinyl, there's vinyl coming out. I think the vinyl is is running on time at the moment, but you know these days it's 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 uh it's yeah. kind of, COVID, COVID got everything. Uh, oh man, it was already hard to press vinyl on a proper schedule. Um, kind of just with the, the revival of people who wanted the, the plat, uh, that kind of medium. But COVID really, I think, really messed it up. I, oh, mm. I have one more question about Blue Note, man. I want you to be honest, all right? Uh, do you still have all the music and can you send it to me on WeTransfer? I have to use it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really use WeTransfer myself, you know. I, I, need the whole, I need the whole catalog, I can, man. I can drop. Oh, oh, yo, you know, that, uh, yeah. That's more. That's more. Comp, that's more. More complicated. Yeah. <laughs> I was struggling. I was struggling to get this stuff, man. You gotta hit them up and hit them up again. You yeah, know. Bro. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Kai, it's been such a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk to you. It's, uh, man, uh, dude, you're a true, true, uh, incredible artist. And we, man, very much appreciate your time and insight into to what you do and how you do it. I appreciate y'all, man. It was a lot of fun to be here with y'all. Yeah, you're right, man. All right, y'all. My name is Darian Douglas. I'm Gregory Ajid. I'm back. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where were you? How were you on the road? Where'd you go? Oh, we went. We went a bunch of places. I, I was playing with uh, Michael Bublé, the, the the singer. I, I know who he is. And uh, man, we went. We went everywhere. Yo, touring is back, y'all. Just wear a mask and don't don't go out. <laughs> yeah, you were mostly mostly Europe, or no? We did. We did all the U.S. All U.S. All U.S. Okay. Man, it was it was it was. It was it's possible. It can happen, man. It's it's just, you know, I pr- follow the protocols. The safety things do work. I will say this, man. The safety stuff does work. We had 125 people on the road. Nobody got ki- uh, COVID because we followed the protocols. Wow, y'all on a, y'all on a real multi-bus situation. <laughs> yeah. I, I just did two, I just did, uh, two weeks overseas in France and a couple of days in Belgium with my group. But you know, we you know, it's like four of us. <laughs> Not 125. <laughs> hey man, you travel in light. Sometimes that's the quick, quickest way to get to where you gotta go. Yeah, right, <laughs> there's only four, there was only four of us. Yeah. That was hard. Look, man, yeah. somebody somebody definitely gonna email us about what Greg just said about these protocols, Greg. I appreciate it. somebody's gonna I'm gonna get a lot of hate mail. These COVID is not real. Rah, rah, rah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what you know what working and the paycheck is real so i don't give a shit right the bills is real so we're trying to stay out here so make sure y'all wash your hands take the vaccine don't lick nobody strange on the face all right <laughs> <laughs> makaya man thank you so much for coming on the working artist project thank you, all right, thank you, man. we'll catch y'all later peace <laughs>